Well, hello and welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast, nationally and internationally ranked in the communication skills vertical. We're bringing you helpful content every week on Tuesdays. On Tuesday morning, you will get a boost and to help you communicate better at work, get more people to do what you want, be a more effective conversationalist and presenter, all the good things. That is what we bring you on this podcast that is free and it's a lot of fun. Today's episode is brought to you by the book called The Practical Guide to Effective Communication. Get recognized for the value you already contribute. I wrote this book. It came out last year. Every chapter is like a condensed book. Just go to the chapter that you need in that moment. And maybe you should buy some for Christmas gifts. But The Practical Guide to Effective Communication does just that. And it really takes you inside the mindset. The way you perceive something is the determinant of how you will show up. So the way you perceive the situation and that opportunity is going to help you communicate better. So definitely read the chapter on mindset. The Practical Guide to Effective Communication. Now, today's guest is Tom Jacobs. Tom Jacobs is residing in Taipei, Taiwan. Isn't that interesting? This is one of the super eclectic guests. I think that they're so interesting. He's a pilot, a public speaking coach, a business coach. He studied theater in, I think it was DePaul University. And then he got into the oil and gas business. And from there, he started his own fitness gym business. So he's done a lot of different things. And now he's just living around the world and helping businesses and helping professionals like you be better at storytelling. And so that's really the focus of this episode. And I know you're just going to love all the great things, the helpful tips, the life-changing wisdom from Tom Jacobs. Well, Tom, welcome to the Speak Up with Laura Camacho podcast. We're super excited to have you here. I believe you're the first guest that we are having from Taiwan, and that's mind-blowing to me. We've had guests from other countries, for sure. Singapore is probably the, the closest one, Australia, Europe, but now Taiwan. But right off the bat, we need to know, how did somebody who studied theater in college become a fitness business owner, and why are you living in Taiwan? <laughs> when you put it that way, it sounds really different than what I imagined the, my life to become. But it's all very interesting. I actually was interested in the arts, and I wanted to go into arts management. because I played violin growing up, and then got into theater in high school and, and in college and got the degree. And then very quickly realized that a degree in theater doesn't really support my two worst habits, which is living indoors and eating. So <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. So I had to find a real job. So I went and got a real job in an oil and gas company. And that took me down to Houston, Texas. So I graduated college in Chicago, went to Houston with this oil and gas. And in that 12 years that I was working in corporate America, I got overweight, high cholesterol, high blood pressure. It's a high stress job. And I was only 30 years old. Oh, wow. 
Yeah. I went to the doctor and the doctor's like, oh, you know, you'll be lucky to see 40 if you don't change something right now because you have high blood pressure, high cholesterol and a family history of heart disease. He said, you really have a choice. You can take these two pills, which I highly recommend that you do, or you can do this thing called diet and exercise, but frankly, nobody knows that. I decided to do the harder work, the diet and exercise, which isn't that hard when it really comes down to it. I just followed a simple process. And in 12 weeks, I lost 40 pounds of fat and gained 10 pounds of muscle. And more importantly, I lowered my cholesterol to like 170 and 200s, kind of the upper limit. And my blood pressure came back to 120 over 80, even a stressful day. And in that process, in that 12-week body transformation, people at work were asking me, oh, what's your secret? What are you taking? You know, all the shortcuts, right? Which there are no shortcuts. And in that process of actually explaining what I was doing, I was like, wow, this is really cool. I really like what I'm doing. And people started to take my advice. And I was like, gosh, I wonder if I could quit my day job and do this full time. And eventually that's what I did. And I quit my day job bought a gym and got into the fitness industry. Very cool. Well, unfortunately, our audience can't see you, but I will tell everybody that Tom is definitely has no excess weight on his body and he <laughs> makes it to 40. So he's legit. Yeah, um, well beyond 42. <laughs> yeah, a little, just a month or two, but that's all. <laughs> all right. So now you're still in Houston then. If it's your fitness gym, right? Yep. So I sold the gym six years ago, and it's still operating today with the new owners, which is great. But I wanted to travel, and I really love traveling and seeing different cultures. And I just couldn't do that effectively with a brick-and-mortar business. And so, you know, and plus I was getting kind of burned out on the, <laughs> the fitness, owning a fitness center. So I sold that and started to kind of figure out what do I want to do? What was I really good at? And through owning that gym and having that entrepreneurial way about me, what I found was I was really good at speaking and I was really good at selling and I was really good at selling from the stage, which combines the two. Wow. I'm not good at any of those. So good. I want you to tell us how to do it. You seem just fine speaking. Yeah, I am fine <laughs> speaking, but that selling business, I, you know, that's. Well, you know, I just followed a process. And I think some of your more engineering audience members would really appreciate this. Whenever there's a process, it's easily followed and will get you the same result over and over and over again. And sales, to me, became a process. And that process was just repeated over and over again. When I figured that out, then I put together a training course on speaking and selling and selling from the stage. And so that's what got me into the coaching realm after I sold the business. And then that also enabled me because it was literally a virtual business. I could be anywhere in the world. So it enabled me to travel. And so I started kind of tipping my toe in the water. I did 30 days in Mexico City and foreign country, different language, great food. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Spend 30 days there. And so I kind of tipped my toe in the water to see, can I keep my business going, being remote. And it worked. It worked just fine. So from there, I went to Thailand. I went to Portugal. I went to the UK, Spain, just kind of traveled all over and spending at least 30 days in a location. 
Okay, so you're not a permanent Taiwanese citizen. I'm still not permanent yet here, but this has been three years. Okay, back to the public speaking, which is going to be our focus for people who are not public speaking for a living, but we all know that that's how you make your mark. That's how you get influence one to many. That is the way to build your influence. So what is the difference between a story and then a highly impactful story? I know there are people who can make a trip to the vending machine sound like an epic adventure. And there are people that take epic adventures and then make it sound like a trip to the vending machine. So break it down for us. That's that's really great. So just a story, if you were to tell a story of going to the vending machine, usually people will do that chronological in terms of, you know, I was hungry. So I put left foot in front of the right foot and left, right, left, right, arrived at the vending machine, chose the cookies, went back to my desk. Can be boring, especially if you're telling a life story or a personal story. But rather, you can spice up that story by following a simple process. And there's a couple different ways of creating stories. But the one that I follow is one that Hollywood uses all the time. And any good Hollywood movie follows this to a T. And that's the hero's journey. I break it down into the simple, really easy components to add to it. And the first is the inciting moment or what I call the impact moment. So that's the do or die moment. I love this vending machine analogy. This is great. I'm going to use that. If we go back to that, it's like I was sitting at my desk. My blood sugar was lowering and my hands were starting to shake. I couldn't even concentrate at work. Do or die moment. Right. Right, And everybody's been there. Yeah. And that draws your audience in because now they're like, wait, what's going to happen? And now you have to take an adventure. And when you take that adventure, you as the hero, you're going to have guides that help you along the way, and you're going to have villains that try to keep you from achieving your goal. And when I say guide and villain, they don't necessarily have to be people. They could be internal thoughts, mindset. It could be a book that you've read that is your guide, right? So when I tell my body transformation story, it's a book that actually guided me through step-by-step how to lose weight. And the villains were food. (laughs) (laughs) McDonald's was the villain in that (laughs) story. (laughs) But you want to have this struggle of getting to the ultimate goal. So, you know, in that vending machine story, it's like, I knew I had to get a candy bar. But Jane was over at the vending machine and was taking forever to insert the dollar bill. And I was like, why? And then my phone rang. (laughs) And it was my boss and I had to pick, I was like, oh man, when am I going to get to the vending machine? (laughs) And so you you can just create these heroes and villains in the story and then ultimately get to your goal, get the candy bar and you feel much better. And that's the end. And it's like, what did I learn from that experience? Well, I should eat on a more regular basis so my blood sugar doesn't drop. And how is life different now? Now I can regulate my blood sugar more accurately. (laughs) What I'm taking away from this, especially, I love this, was that impactful moment, that moment where you realize there's something had to change and then the struggle and who helped you and who didn't help you and resolution. What did I learn? How am I different now? But to me, what I'm taking away from this, it's step number two, the struggle. And to me, taking this to the corporate context where 
you know, nobody cares about your low blood sugar. It's this proof of concept for this new technological product you want to introduce or a new process or a change or just something is that we tend to just go to the resolution. Like we need to do X. And even if we say this will make things better, we don't really, what I call selling the problem, but I think you're not selling the struggle, but detailing more the struggle. Can you elaborate a little bit about that? Because I think that's where people get on board. Yeah, absolutely. And they remember it a lot more than if you're doing the same presentation, just giving facts and figures. Nobody's going to really remember that. So if you can tie those facts and figures around a story, then that message is going to stick with the people that you're presenting to. So to illustrate that on your example, if you're talking about a project and you're talking about the pros and cons of the project, I mean, that's important information that management probably needs to know if they're going to go forward or not with the project. So I would structure with what's the problem right now? You know, what's the problem? We're not getting widgets out error-free or the defect rate is too high on the widgets. So you could wrap that around a story of maybe a return order that came in from one of your best customers. And you could start off with a story about Acme business that ordered 10,000 widgets and 20 of them were defective and they were completely upset with that and wanted Mm -hmm. to return all 10,000 of them. So you could just tell that story and get everybody's attention and go, yeah, that is a problem. Right. Yeah. And then you can go through what are some other pitfalls that are coming up with the manufacturing process. And then ultimately, you want to sell your idea of what you're going to do to solve the problem. And then the resolution would be whatever the resolution happens to be. I love that finding that example to tell the story, because I think what happens with people who are not gifted with the gab We think, oh, a story. Well, we've got to do the plot structure and who are the characters and what is the setting. And I think, no, an example of the problem you're trying to solve can be the story that gets people hooked. Let's say that everything's going great. Well, then how could we find the story? If everything's going great, what would the story be? And yet this is an opportunity for this person to inspire confidence in that audience that the junior person is not only doing well, but clearly ready for a promotion or additional responsibility. Well, you know, imagine this, that everybody at that level that that junior employee is at is doing the same presentation Mm -hmm, and they're presenting it all the same. So nobody stands up. You come in and you tell a story, whether that's a comedy or a tragedy. So not all stories have to be a big problem, near-death experience or, you know, rags to riches. Right. And that's, that's another issue is that we think, well, I didn't have to cut off my left arm, so it's not really a story. Right. We have tons of stories within us and from the external world. So like I said, it could be a comedy, it could be a tragedy. So don't be afraid of bringing in the good news stories. And as you're doing a highlight, like an eight minute highlight, you know, that first couple minutes would be, you know, a story of a happy customer. If everything's going well, it could be somebody that did something exceptional instead of the normal, 
Well, first quarter we raised twelve percent and drop a lot. Right, or, or the yellow, the amber, and the green, and the red, and we just read that to our audience. That's just ah, so bad. Don't do that, people that are listening. Stop it right now. Yeah, and you know it takes a little bit of extra effort to kind of figure it out at first, but once you get used to it and risk, it feels risky. Oh yeah, absolutely. Because the first time you do that. They'll be looking around and like, what's going on right now? And that's exactly what you want to be able to differentiate yourself from everybody else that's doing the presentation. Amen. All right, everybody. So you're welcome. I only bring you the best. Take that super boring status update and make it either a good news story or a bad news story, but make it a story. And if there's a moment of silence, it's because you just flabbergasted them and they're wondering how they were so lucky to have hired you. So that is a good thing. So if we're preparing a presentation about a topic, what is your process, Mr. Process? Like for, we, we need to make, do a presentation at work. What is the process to put some ideas down into a compelling story? Well, I always start with story because Whenever a new speaker comes up on stage or in the front of the room, it's boring. You know, people are on their phones. They're just half listening sometimes. You want to have a phone drop opening statement. And what I mean by that is, like, when you say that, everybody's phone goes down and all eyes are on you. But that sounds hard. How can we do that? Well, that's the impact statement. Mm -hmm. So it's identifying what is that crisis moment, you know, the moment where there needed to be a change. And again, it could be tragedy, it could be comedy, good news, bad news type of situation. But it's that inflection point where something happened. So yeah, we start with that. And then you can back up with what led up to that point, then go on the journey of the trials and tribulations, the hero, the guide, and the villain and then what you achieve at the end of it. Okay, so that's your starting point. And then what other tips can you get? I mean, this audience, yeah. they're just craving, <laughs> like give them more things to do to be better at presenting their facts and findings and their suggestions and their recommendations at work. Once you go in and you do the first story, it tees you up to then do your teaching moment. And the teaching moment is basically now those facts and figures. So it's to the meat of what you want or what the message is that you want to give to your audience. So if it is a product update, then that's where the product update will show because now you can tie in the story that you just told to now your status update. And your audience is going to be listening to you because they just heard a story. They're with you. And there's been study after study that has shown that there's actually a neuro connection between the speaker of a story and the receiver of a story. Princeton University, they did a brain scan, a functional MRI, while somebody was telling a story and while two people were listening to the story. And the same areas of the brain were lighting up from the speaker to the receiver versus just telling facts and figures. They could be anywhere. Oh, yeah. They're wondering what's for lunch to use your favorite <laughs> pain point. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Takes a little bit of effort to stand out and be different and 
really make a difference in other people's lives. And especially if you tie this into sales, that is the key to getting people to now take action. Because if they're not paying attention to you, they're not going to hear the offer that you're making. And they might be just bored and they're like, "Ah, I don't want to do business with this person. They're just really boring. All right. So what does it mean to create a pitch that doesn't seem like a pitch? Let's say I want internally or externally, I'm looking for resources to fund my project. I need to pitch it, right? So what does that mean? A pitch that doesn't feel like a pitch. The no pitch pitch is what what I call it. (laughs) So what you're doing then, it really is for sales where you're asking somebody to buy something. Mm-hmm. That's really where the no pitch pitch shines. When you're you know, giving ideas and wanting people to pick up on the idea, I would just go for the full ask for that because it's easier to do that. But when you're asking for somebody to buy something, the no pitch pitch is really a series of questions that you ask to get the prospect to actually say to themselves, how do I buy this? Without you having to ask them to purchase. Uh... They are the ones that actually ask you, okay, so what's the next step? Your presentation, your questions, and the interaction that you've had along with the stories and teaching moments should drive people to go, wow, I don't know if he's selling anything, but I got to have it. And then at the end, it's like, you know, if you're interested, just, you know, see me in the back and I'd be happy to talk to you about what our next steps are. Okay. So to me, what I'm taking away from this is that confidence is if you're not bright enough to catch on that you need this, that's fine. No harm, no foul. And I happen to know that this is the cat's pajamas and this is exactly what you need, but who cares? You know, it's up to you. Yeah. I love that. I think me as a business owner, that became my selling approach. I just skipped the sales part. (laughs) <laughs> I went to the no pitch pitch because I've always been so convinced because it seems so obvious to me that you need this training, you need this, you need everybody can benefit from being better at communication, right? So yeah. that to me is like obvious, but <laughs> it, trust me, it was not obvious to people in the early years of my business. All right. So I want to pivot over to your theater background. We're going to leverage that. And what about voice and body? What do we need to do? What are some low-hanging fruit, high ROI changes we can make to that? Rule number one is if there's a podium, get rid of it. Don't stand behind a podium. There's no need to do that. It keeps you from expressing yourself. The second rule I always have is you can walk, you can talk, but don't walk and talk at the same time. Oh, thank you. I get seasick walking. The people pacing while they're talking. Yes. It's like a tennis match. Yes. It's not just me. Thank you. Yes. You're <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I tell people pick three spots on stage or in the room that mm-hmm. you will have. Those are your three areas that you're going to go to. And when you have a natural pause in your talk or you want to have a pause for dramatic impact, that's when you walk. And you use that walking time as the pause. Oh, okay. And that does also underscore how important pausing is, right? Don't you think that we tend to just, you know, and I know I I do this thing. I get so excited, but I've been told, and I know that TMI is TMI. People cannot process, right? That fast. 
and especially if you're telling a really tragic story, mm-hmm. you need to take people on a little bit of a roller coaster ride. And so interject a little comedy. You want to allow people time to process that, but also to release the tension that you've created in that room. And then you allow your audience to breathe. That's the pause. And you allow them to kind of catch up to you because a lot of times if you're giving some complex information, people need to, you know, a little bit of time to process that before you go on to the next topic. Okay. So what do you think is the biggest mistake that people make in their public speaking in the corporate context? One, they don't do enough rehearsal of their presentation and they treat it as just a presentation. They'll write it out on slides, which is yeah. like death by PowerPoint. And it's on really small fonts, so people in the back of the room can't even read it. And you're talking and people are trying to read. You need people to pay attention to the words that you're saying, not the words that are on the screen. So ditch all words on any screen, unless they're just like one or two words. Right, like a keyword or something yeah. or a phrase, but no paragraphs on slides. Stop it right now. Wow, this is so helpful. I have two more questions for you. You mentioned having people laugh. Mm. And I see humor as extremely high level skill. And some people seem to be naturally just so gifted at making people laugh. And some people are not. So do you think it's a skill worth cultivating for a professional career? And how would we do that? I think it is a great skill to have. So the old saying is the audience will already remember you if you've made them laugh or you've made them cry. Ideally, you've made them do both. And the comedy, it's a process, believe it or not. And it's a formula. A couple things. So I've studied comedians. So anytime that I'm going to watch Netflix, I go to the stand-up comedy because comedians are the best at Well, they should be the best at making people laugh at comedy. Mm -hmm. So they're really good at storytelling. They're really good at building the tension and then releasing the tension. Mm -hmm. And the very simple formula for creating kind of a funny moment is when you're telling the story, think about what would people normally think the end would be? It would normally end with X. Great. End it with Y instead. And that shift at the end, they're like, whoa. What just happened? And and that creates that laugh. All right. Like we're having a big storm here in Charleston and it's really dark outside. And so I'm going to run to Walmart and get milk, coffee, and a gun. Yeah. And (laughs) I would have brought an umbrella, but a gun, that's interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's because I live in South Carolina that, that we find that very funny. All right. Last question. And then I want you to tell people, I mean, there may be some people who are like, oh my gosh, this guy has a process for better public speaking. Please, where can I download his brain? But what is a speaker kit? You mentioned that early on. And I want to know, like, what is that? Is that for professional speakers only? Professional speakers or people that do speaking on a regular basis. And if you want to get on different speaking platforms. So it's a speaker one sheet. It's something that I've put together for getting on podcasts. It basically has your bio, it has your talking elements, what you're going to be talking about, or what subjects that you can speak on. And then if you have your headshot or 
questions that the audience could ask you or the interviewer could ask you as well. So you can't put that on there as well. It's a way of basically pitching yourself as a speaker. That's a fantastic way to build visibility. Even if you're a project or program manager, go speak at some conference. Even if you don't want to be Tony Robbins, of course, we already have Tony Robbins. You don't, if you're at a point, maybe business is a little bit slow in your area and you want to polish your chops of public speaking, apply to speak at a conference and put together this speaker sheet. Just how people get a hold of you, put a good looking picture of you and what you can talk about. And There is nothing, I think, that will build not only your visibility, but internally to your company will multiply the impression that, whoa. Yeah. I mean, that goes a long way in building your own personal brand. But also, if you're working in the corporate world, then building the corporate brand as well. And your bosses love that. Oh, yeah. You're acting as an ambassador. All right, Tom, this has been so valuable and appreciate so much your generosity and sharing your tips for if you can upgrade your presentation, upgrade your public speaking, you'll definitely upgrade your life because it will also come across as just more confidence in general. That's what I've observed. So how can people find you? I don't know if they're going to go to Taiwan, but how can they connect with you? You can find me in Taiwan. Probably the best way is on my website, www.tomjackobs.com. If they do the forward slash storybook at the end of it, then they can download my process on putting together their own personal story or actually any story. So it's the process I take my clients through, but that's in a a little storybook. So that's probably the best way to find me is on there, or you can find me on Instagram under the Tom Jacobs or LinkedIn to Tom Jacobs. So Yes. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much. And everybody listening, thank you for coming and joining this conversation. I know that you are going to, starting today, upgrade your public speaking and presentation skills. So until the next episode, I will see you later. Bye-bye.